I want to welcome you into the Sunday preaching podcast of the Point Church located in beautiful Perdido Key, Florida. I'm Tim Coleman, the senior pastor, and we believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live to our service, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. Hey, this sermon series has been a lot of fun already. And when we started sitting down talking through the book of 1 Timothy as we were outlining uh, what passages we would be preaching, it really just dawned on me. I don't know if it happened to anybody else in that meeting, if Pastor Tim was thinking this or not. But y'all, this book is real and it's about us right now, okay? As we're reading through this, we're not talking about some kind of far off idea that's happening that you know, doesn't really change the way that we function. This is talking about you and me and our role in God's church right now, okay? In chapter one, Paul is writing to this young pastor who's overseeing this group of gathering local expressions of the church who are in the region of Ephesus, and he tells them right off the bat, you've got to guard the church from allowing false doctrine and coming in, okay? In chapter one, he jumps straight into the deep end with that. Not much has changed. We are still guarding the church from false doctrine coming in to the church today. As long as I can remember and as long as I have read in history, this has been an issue that the church has had to safeguard itself from, from allowing false doctrine to come into the church. Then in chapter two, we saw instructions on prayer. Jesus said that my house would be a house of prayer. So whenever we come together, we pray. And those, the purpose of those prayers are spiritual in nature. And then we see roles of men and women in the church and the ways that we're supposed to work together for the glory of God. And then we saw qualifications for overseers, elders, pastors, or whatever word you want to use in that scenario, and for deacons. And here's the deal. None of it is about power. None of it is about position or authority. It's about pointing people towards Jesus and serving the church. Okay, we saw that. And I'm just thankful today, Pastor Tim's not in the room, so I can say this. I'm thankful that we have a pastor that's not about himself, that's not about promoting some kind of agenda that he has. I'm thankful that we have a pastor that points to the word of God, okay? That is a rare thing. Yeah, let's give him a hand. Hopefully he'll see this online and he'll know that, know that we appreciate that. Y'all, when we look around the landscape of churches today, it is scary how many people are out pushing their own agenda, who are out saying, look at me and look what I have to offer instead of saying, look to Jesus, the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. How dare we present ourselves as some form of quasi-savior? False teaching has been around the church for a long time, and we need to point to Jesus Christ because he is the author and he is the perfecter of our faith. In order to get into uh, chapter four, I think we need to back up just a little bit because the way that uh, in my reader's Bible, Pastor and Tim and I were talking about this this week, where the chapter starts, it's in the middle of a paragraph. It's kind of an interesting way to see where that chapter division was in 1 Timothy, but I think we need to backtrack just a little bit because there is a beautiful hymn that Paul writes to the church about the lordship of Jesus Christ that I want us to read. So 1 Timothy chapter three, verses 14 through 16, says this, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And here's that hymn, great indeed we confess 
is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels. He was proclaimed among the nations. He was believed on in the world, and he was taken up into glory. What a beautiful summation of the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ that Paul gives us. But he's writing this and he gives us some context for what is about to come because there are issues that if they linger in the church, they distract us from the mission that God has given us. There's issues if they linger in the church. Now this passage, this book is really written about the way that we function, the way that we interact with one another and the way that we serve the Lord. This is a very personal letter that Paul is writing to this young leader who's dealing with some really difficult problems, and he's saying you gotta deal with these things whenever they come up. You've gotta deal with your people whenever they're out of line, and when do we become out of line? When we put ourselves in front of our Savior, and we have to be very careful that we don't do that. The church is about Jesus, it's not about us. The church is about Jesus, it's not about us. Just like the Bible is not a book that's written about you or me, though we have a small place in it, the Bible is all about Jesus and we should be focusing on him. In verse 16, we see that Jesus is explaining the mystery of godliness. He is explaining how God is going to reconcile us to himself. He was manifested in the flesh. He humbled himself to come from heaven in the form of a man, was born of a virgin, did incredible things, marvels and wonders, and people came all over to see him do those things. But guess what? Those very people who followed him around were the ones who sent him to the cross. Jesus was seen by angels. We see angels all throughout the ministry of Jesus, and they themselves understand the plan of God by seeing what Jesus is doing. But then we see that Jesus is proclaimed among the nations. He's believed on in the world, and he is taken up in glory. At the end of his earthly ministry, he ascended into heaven, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father because his redemption work for man is finished. There's nothing else that we have to do to earn salvation apart from what Jesus has already done for us. There's nothing that we can add to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the scriptures. God, we thank you that we have a source of truth that we can go to. Lord, we thank you that you've revealed yourself to us in this way so that we can go and we can pick up your word and we can read what you have for us in this day. So God, I pray that today as we look at a text that I believe is very pertinent to us today, Lord, that you would convict us where we need to be convicted. Lord, maybe we have sought to add things to the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would convict us of that. Lord, maybe we need to be comforted today from some past teachings that we may have been taught. Lord, I pray that you would comfort us and let us see the cross of Jesus Christ today as first and foremost in our lives. And God, I pray that the saints would be edified and built up and encouraged in the house of God today so that we can see how to live an abundant life through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen. We're to follow the perfect example of holiness in Jesus Christ, not in anybody else. Let me say that again. Right off the bat, we are to follow the example of Jesus, not somebody else. You know, there was a bunch of religious leaders in the day that Jesus walked on the earth. There was a group of people called the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they added a lot of different rules into their own lives, at best, in order to keep their hearts seeking after God and to prevent their hearts from drifting, at worst, to prove themselves to be more holy than the people around them. 
okay? We can look back into the Old Testament and we can see how the people sinned, their hearts moved away from God, and guess what God did? He drove them out of the promised land that he sent them to in order for them to learn and see that God is the one true God, and they are brought back in, and that is the birth of this movement of the Pharisees, to put things into order to keep the people's hearts near to God. But guess what? We can take things a little bit too far, and ultimately they would steer steer the hearts of people away from God. And that's exactly what happens in modern-day legalism. Whenever we start to add rules onto what God has given us in his word, it may start from a good place, but ultimately it steers a lot of people in the wrong direction. And it goes, it takes the focus off of what Jesus has done for us and instead puts salvation in, in, in some kind of format that it's up to us. How many of you know there's nothing that you can do to save yourself? You need Jesus to save you. There's no amount of works, there's no amount of things that we can abstain from in this life that will earn us salvation. Ultimately, that's the message of legalism. If you do the right things and you don't do the wrong things, that ultimately that earns some kind of moralistic salvation. That's not what we see in the life of Jesus. The religious leaders didn't like Jesus because he went and he spent time with sinners because he went out and he spent time with people who needed to be brought from death to life spiritually. A few weeks ago when we were out at the beach, we saw a whole bunch of people get baptized, and that was an incredible sight, and that is a picture of something that had already been settled in their hearts from going from spiritual death into spiritual life. I'm afraid that today we complicate the gospel of Jesus Christ by adding extra things onto the gospel. What is the gospel? Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. And if you believe, then you are born again. In another place in the New Testament, Jesus says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But here's the deal. We've got to believe in our heart. We can't just say some empty words, but if we believe in our heart, it changes everything about the way that we live. It changes everything about our relationships. It changes our relationship with the scripture. Everything changes because of what Jesus did. So Paul starts this section of the text by giving Timothy a warning. And this warning is not anything that's new. Y'all, not much has changed. Can I just tell you that I don't care how many new ideas come out or how many new 21st century fads that come out. Y'all, there are words added to the dictionary every single year because of things that we come up with. We just fabricate them in our minds and they show up. It's just something that's old that's repackaged, okay? There's nothing new under the sun, okay? So we need to understand that not much has changed. We may be fooling ourselves to think that we're dealing with something new when instead Paul is writing to this church as they're dealing with the same thing, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Now this... Or, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Okay, so here's the deal. First thing I want you to see in the text, we need to not be misguided. We need to make sure that we are not misguided. We have to be aware of the teachings that we are ingesting Okay, we can't just flippantly, in in the world that we're in, we can't just flippantly listen to whoever we want to because it sounds good, okay? The day and age that we're, we're living in right now, we have more resources than we've ever had before, and it's not hard for you to get your hands on Scripture, okay? 
I tell our students this, if they're going to think that learning math and science is and in school so they can get a job one day is important, they should think that the word of God that gives life to our souls is equally, if not more important, okay? We need to make sure that we're not neglecting this book, okay? I have a bunch of Bibles sitting in my office, and over the years, there's different ones that I've used, but over the years, I've also learned that whenever I set it on the shelf, it doesn't make a difference in my life if it's sitting on a shelf. We have to make sure that we open it and read it. And one of the first ways that we can be aware or beware of the way that we're being misguided is by knowing what is in Scripture. We have to understand the full counsel of God by understanding that these are words, this is a message that he's given to us, and it is useful. If we don't know what's in the Bible, it's not gonna be of use to us. But if we read the words that God has given us, there is a reason that he has revealed himself to us in this way so that we can not be misguided by any kind of false teaching that comes into play. So as he is speaking, he says that there are people who are going to rise up. There are some who will depart from the faith. Paul is either doing one of two things. One, I think it's important to note that when he says the Spirit expressly says, that is a present tense action here. The Spirit is saying now. And he's saying the same thing to the church of Ephesus that he's saying to the Point Church right now that this is happening and it's all around us and we need to keep our eyes up and be aware. We need to be aware of what we're letting into the church and we have to make sure that it's measured by the scripture. But he says that some will depart from the faith. So he's either referring to, remember, Paul had an encounter with Jesus. We don't know everything that happened in that encounter, just like we don't know every time Jesus spoke to the disciples, they didn't write down every single word that he said. But we have what, this, what the Spirit has inspired to be in the scripture. We have that. So we don't know if this was a message that directly came from Jesus or if he heard this from the disciples, but it is a teaching of Jesus. Matthew chapter 24, verses 10 through 11 says, Many will fall away and betray one another, and they will hate one another. Verse 11, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Jesus is giving a warning to his disciples in this verse, and I believe Paul is referring to this now, that there are people who are gonna come into the fold of the house of God, and they're gonna cause disruption, and they're gonna lead people astray. Why are they gonna lead people astray? Because they've been influenced by the enemy, and there's a reason that Satan is an angel of light. His deception's gonna look good. It's gonna sound right. The most dangerous lies that we hear are lies that have elements of the truth in it. Is that not true? Otherwise, we're very quickly able to spot falsehoods. But whenever it sounds good, whenever it tickles our ear, whenever it's something that we really wanna hear by an observation that we may have, we can be deceived. But these are not things that are new. This has been going on since sin came into the world and the serpent said to Eve, did God really say? This is something that's been going on for a very, very long time. Jesus also gives another warning in Mark chapter 13, where he says this in verses 22 and 23, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, for I've told you all things beforehand. We have got to be on guard. We have to be very careful about following personalities and people who have gifts that are deviating from the word of God. We have to guard ourselves from that. We have to protect ourselves by knowing what is in scripture. 
Jesus tells us so much about what is going to happen in our lifetime right now if we just read his words, if we just listen to what Jesus has told us. He has given us everything that we need. Now, the Spirit, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, okay, back into verse number one, a lot of debate is around that phrase, the later times. When are the later times? Is that talking about when Jesus comes back? No, because uh, Timothy is dealing with this right now in the church of Ephesus. This phrase, the later times, is not talking about the second coming of Jesus, but it's referring to the time after Jesus ascends into heaven until he returns. Those are those later times that we're talking about. There are people who will step up who are trying to deceive the fold of God by preaching a false gospel. Paul took the gospel message so seriously by even saying that if I myself come to you and preach something that is different than what I've already brought to you, you need to kick me out of the door. I don't even care if an angel from heaven comes in and says to you something that's different. Christ came according to the scriptures. He gave his life according to the scriptures and he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. This matter of the gospel is very, very important because there is power in the sacrifice of Jesus. Just as much power today as there was on the day that he shed his blood for our sins. Anytime there's a false teaching in or around the church, there is always a present danger to the people of God. Anytime there's a false teaching in or around the church, there is danger to the people of God. And can I tell you that we're living in a dangerous world right now? We're living in a dangerous world where people are using the name of Jesus and using words like compassion and peace and hope. I don't care what theory they're talking about today. It's not anything that's new. I don't care about what rules we're adding in to safeguard ourselves. If it is in, in, in addition to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to reject that and move on and love our neighbor as ourself like our Lord commanded us to. Love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourself. Jesus commanded us to love one another and Jesus told us that all of us need a savior and that savior is Jesus and not us, okay? Those who leave the faith, these people who Paul is writing about are people who have heard the gospel. They may even be people who were a part of the church for a long time, but they are people who were led astray by the enemy. Jesus talks about these people in his parable of the sower. You know this story. You can go back and you can read the parable of the sower over the synoptic gospels, but there's a man who's, who's sowing seeds, and some seeds fall on rocks and they're never rooted. Some seeds are eaten by birds. Some seed are in, in shallow soil and their roots aren't able to grow deep. Some are scorched up by the sun. These are the types of people who will come in to the church and who will share false doctrine and false teachings. And we have to be aware of those people. Of course, our goal as believers is that our roots would be deep and that they would set and that seed would take. Because if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, he will never let you out of the palm of his hand. He will never let you out of the palm of his hand. But we have a deceiver who is around us. We have to be on guard for the work that he's doing. Paul describes these people who fall away from the faith as false teachers and insincere people. You know what that word is in verse two for insincere? It means hypocrite. You ever heard a church person described as a hypocrite? Anybody? Okay, most of us in the room probably. A hypocrite is somebody who does what? Who says something and lives another way, right? May that not be said of us as followers of Jesus. Now look, I'm not saying that you've gotta be perfect or you always have to have everything together, but let's not act like we do. 
Let's not act like we don't struggle with sin just like anybody else that's been created by God. Let's be open and honest in the family of God about what's going on in our life so that we can move past our sin to bring honor and glory to the Father. Let's make sure that we're not falling into the trap that the Pharisees were in, like the man who was standing in the, in the temple who was talking about how great and wonderful he was and taking the place of someone who needed to repent at the altar. Let's make sure that we're seeking after the Lord first and not just after our own righteousness. It's so common in the church today to have people who say that they believe one thing but live like something else is true. If we believe in our heart, we're gonna live like that thing is true. So Paul calls these people liars and he even makes the point to say that they've come to the point that they're believing their own lie because they're sharing this false teaching. And I don't know about you, but I don't know of any teacher who stands up and who's leading people to follow something that they themselves don't believe. This, these may have been people who have heard the gospel, who have been led astray, but somehow have justified their own actions and their own beliefs in order to fit their own narrative. Does that sound familiar today? We are experts at justifying our own actions and our own mistakes. When instead, Jesus says we need to come to him and lay them at the foot of the cross. We can confess our sins to him and he's faithful and just to forgive us. There are many people who claim the name of Jesus but do not accept the lordship of Jesus Christ in their life. There's many people who like the idea of church but don't want to submit to biblical authority. There are many people who like the idea of having peace in their soul but won't submit to the one who gave his life so that you can have that peace. We need to be drawn back to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we need clarity in false teaching whenever it comes up. We need to call it what it is and move on. So that's the second thing I want you to see in the text. In verse three, we have to recognize false teaching. We have to be able to recognize false teaching. We've already talked about understanding why we should know what is in the scripture, but there's the reason that we need to understand that false teaching is because false teaching is dangerous. It's dangerous. It leads us to believe things about God that are not true, that distorts our view of who he is. You cannot separate holiness from a holy God. I don't care who you are. If you read the scripture and you understand that God is who he is, he does not allow us to live lives that are not holy, that we are seeking to be holy because the scripture says, be holy as he is holy, so we cannot remove that holiness from him. This teaching that is coming up in verse number three and verse number four is this word called asceticism, asceticism. This is a false holiness. Let me give you an example of this, the definition of this word. It comes from the Greek word of training. And asceticism is abstaining from satisfaction of bodily or social needs that we have in life, okay? I need to be very clear as we're getting into this. There are strong biblical grounds for fasting and for abstaining from certain God-given needs, and there are spiritual reasons that we do that. We follow the example of Jesus who got away from people who practiced solitude, who spent time fasting and, and spending time away from, from eating food, but that was for a spiritual reason. This asceticism is a false way to make yourself look better than people around you by adding rules into your life, by abstaining from things that God said were good. Not by abstaining from things that we need to abstain from, because Lord knows there's lots of those things in this life, okay? 
but God's saying here that this is a false teaching. And Paul says that here in verse number three, those who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. All right, the most serious example that I have of asceticism is of, of some, some monks around the time of the Reformation about not necessarily the reformers, but some, some of their colleagues would flog themselves if they found themselves falling into sin. They would take whips and they would beat themselves to, in, to inflict pain on their body because of a sin that they've committed. Nowhere in scripture do we see that we need to do that. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that we need to harm ourselves if we fall into sin. That would be asceticism, adding extra things. This is an ancient form of legalism. Are y'all seeing the picture here? We don't need to neglect the blessings that God has for life on ourselves, okay? These ideas are based on human teachings and they do not have power. They do not have power, okay? You're not gonna get an extra white star on your upper basketball jersey by abstaining from something that God made was good, okay? That's the Christ-like star, right? That, that was for the kid that behaved the best on the team, right? They may have not hit the most shots, but they were kind about it in the process, okay? You're not gonna be deemed more Christ-like than somebody else from refraining from something that God said was there for your good. All right, so over the last several years online, probably about every three or four months, I see this, and you may have seen this before, but uh, there's a story about a Christian couple that dated for a couple years, they got married. I'm gonna read uh, this to you because it's funny and I don't wanna lose my thoughts as I'm reading it. But John and Darla Crocker, I don't know if they're real or not, this is just for the story, is a couple that's been married a little over two years who dated for a couple of years before they got married. The couple had such a view of sex that they decided to continue abstinence on into their marriage. The couple claims to live a normal life, but every now and then after dinner, they kiss and sometimes get bedroom thoughts, but they stand by their conviction. Darla throws water on her face to cool down while John goes and eats a whole raw potato to get out of the mood. How many of y'all know that's weird, right? <laughs> they know other people don't agree with their decision and they claim that they don't hold that over any other couples, but they're going to remain faithful. How many of you know that God has ordained marriage God has created marriage as a picture of Christ's love for the church as a place of mutual servitude. Jesus said, we're, we're supposed to follow the example of Jesus, husbands, by laying down our lives for our wives, okay? It would not do us any good to abstain from some part of marriage that God himself has ordained, okay? It would not be good for us to do that. You're not gonna be more holy from abstaining from something that God has created as good. Now, look, that was just kind of a, a, a silly illustration of what that is, but there are a lot of people who have really badly taught views of something that God has ordained in life because mankind has so distorted it to a point that we feel like something that God has created for our good is somehow dirty, and we need to repent of that and understand that God has created certain aspects of life for us to enjoy. Now here it talks about food, okay? It gets into this example of food. God created the world for our enjoyment. You go back into Genesis chapter one, he separated the light from the darkness and it was good. He, set, he created the, the sun and the stars and it was good. He created the sand and the waves and the wind and it was good. He created mankind and he said it was very good. 
yet somehow we are at a point where we're turning the creation that God created for our good into something that we should not enjoy. When look, if you walk outside and you go to the beach or you go somewhere that's natural in the creation of God, you see the beauty of our creator. You see his creativity all around the beautiful colors. Wouldn't it be just like God to when the sun sets, there'd be a beautiful color that releases melatonin in our body that teaches us how to sleep? How amazing is God the creator? He, he, he fabricated the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the wildlife that we have for our enjoyment for mankind to rule over. The same for the vegetation. Next time you go and you have a really good meal, I'm talking like a really good meal, something that, sh that shouldn't go together but does, God created that for you to enjoy. What a beautiful thought that God created life to be enjoyed. There are enough challenging things going on in the world today that we should not neglect the blessings of God on our life. We shouldn't do that. We shouldn't add things onto the gospel. That is called legalism. Adding additional rules that are extra, that are not in the scripture, is legalism, and that leads to Christians being miserable. And can I just tell you today, I've met a lot of people who claim to have abundant life in Jesus Christ who are miserable people. They don't like the people that are around them. They don't enjoy anything about life, and they're grouchy, and they're mad all the time. And can I tell you that Jesus didn't die on the cross for us to be upset and mad all the time? He died on the cross to invite us to be a part of his redemptive work of mankind, and that purpose comes with joy because we get to see people go from spiritual death into spiritual life, and every time somebody accepts Jesus, the angels rejoice because a miracle has happened, and we need to understand that God calls us into that. We enjoy that. When every time we have a beach baptism, because it's out in creation, there's just an extra special element to that. My soul just rejoices. Anytime we see people come and accept Jesus and they are publicly proclaiming Jesus Christ. Now, here's the deal. This modern-day asceticism gets into some other things, too. Alistair Begg says that modern-day asceticism is when Christians shrink up into our bubbles and we go to our Christian clubs and we come to our church and we never interact with people outside of our little bubble. A part of God's redemptive work for mankind is that we go and make disciples. We can't make disciples of people who are already believers because they should already be disciples. Instead, we have to follow in the example of Jesus and spend time with people who are lost. We have to go and share the love of Jesus with people who don't know the love of God yet. And you have an opportunity to introduce them into that love. What an incredible invitation that God has for us. Now, there's times where, okay, yeah, we may need to spend some time training up our kids in the ways of the Lord, and we need to make sure that we're not exposing them to all the things of the world. That's not what I'm talking about today. What I'm talking about is whenever you go home, you pull into your garage, you shut your garage door behind you and your neighbor's standing outside ready to talk to you, and you just want to move on with your day. We have to be open to godly interruptions. Gospel conversations are not things that we should be thinking about by the year, but by the day. How many people did I share the love of Jesus with today? How many people did I introduce to the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ today? How many people did I stop and take the time to share the love of God with? Look, I know that sometimes with your job, that may not be the most productive use of your time, and you may need to stay late in the day, but is the gospel of Jesus Christ worth that? I think so. I think that it is. I really do, because God 
invites us into this beautiful, abundant life. So all of that comes from people adding rules into Christianity that should not be there. There's a lot of problems that come out of legalism. Some of you, your story is you were raised in a legalistic church and you heard the Bible preached in a certain way that did not free you to live uh, in the freedom of Jesus Christ, but instead confined you to live in some kind of box that somebody created for you that had extra rules that were not a part of the gospel and ultimately that kept you from sharing the love of Jesus with people. And that is not right. And I apologize for your experience in a church that did that but I would plead with you to open up the scripture and see the abundant life that God calls us into, this challenge that God calls us to, to go and share the gospel, the calling that he has on our lives. Now look, here's the deal. Jesus tells us, he says to his disciples, this is not an easy calling. In John chapter 15, he sits the disciples down and he says, look, the world is going to hate you. There are gonna be times in life that are difficult, but know that the world rejected me first before it rejected you. Life's not always moments where we're experiencing the abundance of God's blessings because with life comes challenges, but if we look up, we'll see the blessings of God around us, even in the midst of challenges, even in the midst of suffering and pain, we see the goodness of God. If God never gave us another blessing in our life, he would have done more than enough for us because he already gave Jesus on the cross for us. Life's not about circumstances working out in our way, but instead seeking to bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus and making disciples because that's what Jesus calls us to do. It is an invitation to live an abundant life that is bigger than yourself. This weekend, I was sharing with the teenagers a little bit about, there's this really cool moment uh, this weekend. Some of our high schoolers were sharing with our, our middle schoolers about things that they wish they knew when they were in middle school. How many of you wish you could go back in time and tell yourself a few things when you're going into sixth grade, right? That's just a hard time of life. It just is what it is, okay? And listening to them just, just talk about things, I'm going, man, I wish somebody would have told me this as a young Christian, not just as a middle schooler, that life's not all about you, that life's about something bigger, that you don't have to worry about so much about what people think about you because of the God that we serve. And that's so true whenever we understand this calling that God has on our life. What if all of our conversations revolved around who we shared the gospel with and what we've done for the calling that God had on our life instead of what's on the nightly news? I feel like we'd live a little bit differently in that way. We would make a difference in our, a bigger difference in our community if we really took seriously the calling that Jesus had for us. Look, y'all, I'm preaching to myself here too, okay? But there's a lot of places that call themselves churches that spend a whole lot of time talking about who can and can't wear pants and they don't spend time talking about the blood of Jesus. And that is not good, okay? We don't need to add rules onto what God has said. We have the full counsel of God and we need to not make sure we're, we're zooming in on one small aspect of that because if we do that, we lose sight of the gospel and we lose sight of God's orders. So that's the third thing I want you to see in the text today. Realize that God's order is good. God's order is good. And if we don't agree with this, we're calling God a liar from Genesis chapter one as he creates the world. God created an order in the way that we live. He reveals that to us through the scripture. And here Paul is giving us that order for how we should live in the church. Some of the most joyful moments of your life, 
Some of the most joy-filled moments of your life are when you are experiencing the blessings of God within the confines of his order within the confines of his order. The most joyful times that you have as a believer is when you're experiencing the blessings of God in the way that God meant for them to be enjoyed. Verses four and five. For everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and by prayer. He's pointing to all of creation as good. We shouldn't make claims that something that God created for our benefit should be abstained from or should not be good. Why? We are people who are marked by self-control. That is one of the fruits of the Spirit. We should not be ruled by anything, and if we are, we may need to abstain from it. I don't care what it is. I don't care if you've got an obsession with eating bananas because you read somewhere it's got vitamins. If you're eating too many of them, it's not gonna be good for you, okay? We're not talking about any specific things that has to do with all of life. We should not be ruled by anything in creation, but instead that creation should point us towards the creator. But we have to understand how to enjoy God's creation within his order. It's important to note that Paul is not condemning any kind of specific diet that you could be on, okay? I understand there are certain times in life where we need to abstain from certain kinds of foods or certain micronutrients or whatever the case may be for health, but he's saying that it's not sinful for me to go and have a pulled pork sandwich for lunch, okay? Are y'all with me? <laughs> it's always funny whenever people amen that. You know, we're, we're, we're real excited that we can go and, have, go and have some good barbecue. Hey, that just means we're good Baptists, right? In verse five, he says, it is made holy by the word of God and by prayer. This phrase means to be holy is to consecrate, to make holy. And anytime I hear that word in scripture, my mind goes straight back to this moment in Joshua where God is preparing his people to go and to take over the, a portion of their land. And he says, consecrate yourselves because tomorrow you're gonna see the glory of God. That's a small reminder to us of whenever we enjoy the blessings of God, we should be focused on the one who gave us those. He's the father of lights. Every good gift comes from him, and we should enjoy those. It really blows my mind. I was thinking about this this week, preparing for the sermon, that it took God sending his son into the earth to show us that it's okay to enjoy the blessings of God. We are so bound and determined to make life harder on ourselves that it took God sending Jesus to tell us that it's okay to eat certain foods. How crazy is that? This legalistic idea is so ingrained into humanity that we're making life more difficult for us than we should be. Why are we doing that? I don't know why. I don't have the answer for that. You may be able to answer it for yourself or, or for your experience, but the picture here is that we have freedom in Christ. We have freedom in Christ. That freedom is not used to fall into sin, but it is freedom that we have from our guilt and our shame that is thrown onto us by things that are not in God's word. Jesus is saying you are set free from those things and you have freedom. The most joyful times in the life of a Christian is when we enjoy what God created for us to enjoy it in the way that he created for us to enjoy it. It's no secret today that some Christ followers are miserable. We've talked about that already, and there are some who are simply neglecting the blessings of God in their life. And my question today, if that's you, is why are you doing that? Experience the abundant life that God has called you to. Let me give you an example of what it means to 
experience a joyful time in the life of a believer for something that God created for good, okay? In human sexuality, your body is created to respond to certain things. Over time, I was taught that all of those things are bad. You should reject those things. Those things are not good, okay? The, even the way that we respond to that. But God created those responses for a purpose in marriage between a man and a woman. And he created those things to be enjoyed. There are too many Christian couples and teenagers who grow up and get married and they have to work through the guilt and shame of somebody who taught something that was not in scripture to them about some kind of thoughts about purity that they've added to. I notice I said added to. I believe if we are seeking after God and we're to be holy, we should abstain from those things until we get to that moment, but we should not feel guilt and shame about that. Sean McDowell shared a story about one of his family members who got married and they ended up calling him and they were just in tears over the fact that, okay, it's my wedding night and I've gotten to this moment and I've got so much guilt and shame on me over this because of what I've been taught throughout the years. How many of you know that should break our hearts? That should break our hearts that we have people that have taken something that God created for good and we even probably for meaning well have become a false teacher who teaches something that is in addition to the word of God. Okay, again, I would reiterate that that is for a specific context that God has created that act for, but we should not shame people into enjoying the blessings of God in their lives, whether that be with that or food or whatever the case may be. For really being obedient to the things that God calls us to do, we don't have to live with secrets and hide. And I'm afraid that that is one of the dangers of teaching some kind of legalistic idea or adding things into the scriptures that are not there. There are people who are living lives that are fine and honoring to God, but they feel like they have to sneak around about it. May we not be a people who are legalistic. May we be a people who enjoy freedom in Christ, who understand what is important, what God is calling us to, because James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. God is the giver of these gifts, and we should be living in a way as believers that we have so much joy and so much happiness in our lives that people see what's going on and they wanna know why. Why are you so happy? Why are you so joyful? Y'all, the world's falling apart all around us, but we have joy because God is in control and our eternal salvation has nothing to do with what's happening in the world right now, but it has everything to do with something that happened on a hill 2,000 years ago. And that is what we point to. That is what we hold to so we can enjoy life now in the context that God has us living in. He has a plan for you. Each one of you have gifts and abilities that God has given you, and you should find out what those are and use them for the glory of God and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people all around us. We have to be focused on that rather than poking out little issues that may be going on in our neighbor's lives, okay? Now, there's a time where church discipline is appropriate. There's a time where we should call one another out for sin, but too often we get all twisted up about things that we don't even need to talk about. You know how I know that? Because we talk to other people about them instead of going to the person who needs to hear it. And then we ourselves fall into sin because we're twisted up about something that somebody else is doing. Do you know there's not any acceptable sins in the Bible? There's some that we allow to happen, but even gossip is a sin and we need to repent of that. 
We should never view the Christian life as missing out on something that's in the world. This is one, one conversation that I have with teenagers pretty often is, oh, well, I feel like if I'm following Jesus, I can't go participate in what this thing is. And they feel like they're missing out on something. Whenever I would very kindly and compassionately say to them, look, I know that something looks like fun now, but there's a price to be paid for your actions today, and you're gonna pay for that tomorrow. Understanding wisdom is understanding that all of life is connected and that God's word and the full counsel of God needs to be present in our lives. So instead of missing out on something, we're planning for our home and glory. We're pointing towards heaven, understanding that we are not of this world, but we are citizens of heaven. And we live like that every single moment of every day, not just while we're in church, not just when we're in our small group, not just when we're here on Wednesday nights, but every moment we understand that our actions impact the world around us. So you're going, how in the world did we get there from talking about false teaching and legalism? because legalism gets us all tripped up into thinking that life's about us and about what we do and what we don't do when the focus should be on what Jesus has done on our behalf. 